What's up, everyone? My name is Joshua, and I want to welcome you to another broadcast. Today, we're talking about civil commitment again. If you've seen any of my other broadcasts, you know this is something that really bothers me. Um, there's two types of civil commitment. They both suck. And, and I'm going to discuss today why you should care. As if all the other interviews from all of the different stories, whether it was from a family member, whether it's somebody that was locked away, if that didn't make you want to care, I got somebody that works at the Texas facility or the civil commitment facilities there that sent me, I'm not going to say her name, I'm not going to say who she is yet, I'm not even going to say the name of the facility yet, but she sent me a message that said, I'll tell you anything you want to know, but this is a, a, a shit show and pardon my French, but that's what she said and what's happening here is awful. And so she sent me a whole bunch of messages laying everything out from her perspective. Now, I'm not going to say the facility, not even going to say her name yet, because I really would love to have some official documents if possible, and hopefully that will come because this is not an official whistleblower yet until someone gives evidence. But that said, it is awesome to have somebody from a facility that can give a firsthand account. Also, there's an article, come here, camera. I, those of you who are listening on the podcast, you can't see, but I, I have an AI camera that follows me around and sometimes it gets a little creepy, but today it's going to serve a purpose. Are you not going to cooperate with me? <laughs> Come on, robot. You guys got to see me do the electric shuffle kind of. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So applying collaborative justice to sexually violent predator Civil commitment. That is an awful title for the journey of the American Academy of Psychiatry and the law online. So there's some information I'm going to talk about here today. My friend Tom sent this to me and because he's fighting the fight to clear his name. And man, you should care about civil commitment because what's happening, other than the fact that it's a horrible injustice, other than the fact, like how would you feel that if you were, you know, you're convicted of a crime, okay? You serve your time and you do your part. And then all of a sudden you get out, you're working, you're, you know, you, you're rehabilitating your life. You are doing all the things that are necessary to be a good citizen, to contribute to the world, to not, you're doing everything possible to shed the ex-con label, label, to make sure that people don't go, that's, that's a convict, right? So then imagine that, and then imagine one day you're walking down the street with your family, you got your new daughter, and you got, you got your sweetie next to you, and then all of a sudden, some cops come, and they grab you and arrest you, and then they take you away, and that's the last time your loved ones see you. Unless if it's, you know, behind a, a glass or bars or whatever, but as far as in public and free... Imagine them being disappeared, gone. That can happen to anyone, anyone. And the reason why it can happen to anyone is because all it takes for some of these people to get in trouble, some of the people, by the way, that were not sex offenders, and you're not a sex offender if you slap somebody on the butt. That doesn't make you a predator. That makes you a lot of different things maybe, but I don't know about you, but I grew up slapping people on the butt. It was acceptable because I'm an athlete and that's what athletes do, 
and we slap each other on the butt. There's a lot of other things that happened here that I'm not going to talk about, but we slap each other on the butt. There's a lot of crude humor. It doesn't make it right. But the fact is that a lot of these things that we do that are innocent, maybe maybe that they're looked at now as, okay, well, this is probably not acceptable. And that's okay because times change. However, back when people were calling each other faggots, people were calling queer, and that was just a way that you made fun of people. They didn't actually mean it like, ah, you're a fudge packer. They weren't insulting people, right? So back when language, it could have hurt, but no one went to jail for it, and no one got in trouble for it, and no one got canceled for it, right? So today is a much different time than when a lot of these people were locked up and taken away. There's so many cases of innocent people that don't belong in prison at all that still got swept up and put into civil commitment. And in these civil commitment facilities, no one gets out. No one gets out. Roy Markham has been there for, oh, I think, God, I think he said 40 years. I forget. And I and I apologize for not knowing exact. I forgot. 40, no trial, never been charged, nothing. Shadow prison, gone. All it takes for you to get arrested in, and get thrown in a civil commitment facility is you live in a state that has it, and then you get accused of doing something that could be considered sexually violent. Now, this is tricky, and here's why. Do you know how many people get falsely accused of rape? Do you know how many? Well, let me tell you. I don't have the exact numbers. I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to speak to a personal experience. I've been accused of rape. I was in college and I was in Taos, New Mexico. Very special place. No, actually Red River. I apologize. Red River, both Taos and Red River are very special places to me. I'm getting worked up. I'm going to calm myself down a little bit. By the way, thank you for being here. I don't know if I said that yet. Red River, New Mexico. Drinking, 19, C graduated high school in 97. We actually got kicked out of high school. 98, 98, 1998. Red River, New Mexico, a place that I know. I went there every summer for most of my life. All my favorite childhood memories are there. I love Red River, New Mexico and Taos. Go to a bar and well, I was a good looking college guy. I got a lot of, I had a lot of sex and I'm not saying this to brag, at all, because I was a chem sex addict, and we don't need to go into that right now. But, I mean, I was really good at hooking up. I'm really good at it. And so, I was very confident. And when I went out to a bar, I just knew. I could. I knew what to pay attention to. Not saying any of this to brag. I just knew when somebody was going to be willing to have sex or not. Sometimes it was very freaking obvious. And I'm not going to go into details. But anyway, we leave the bar, we close it out because that's what college kids do, I guess, after drinking an ungodly amount of alcohol. Anyway, so we go back, we're hooking up, doing the whole thing, not going to go into explicit detail, except for the fact that I went south, okay, spent some time down there, and then came back up north and decided to kiss. Then he told me to go brush my teeth. So the things that came out of my mouth were not exactly kind. I'm not saying this to make me look good or cool or anything like that. I mean, it's humiliating. And I was wrong for what I did. 
That said, hang with me. So she tells me to brush her teeth. I go, what? That's your, you know, your JJ. That's your JJ. What do you mean brush my teeth? Brush my teeth. It stinks. What? Okay. No. Like, and then I basically made her leave. No, I didn't. Basically, I told her to leave because I didn't want to deal with the attitude, whatever. I was drunk. I pass out. She leaves. Nothing. No big deal. Well, knock, 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 knock. I don't know if you've ever had a call when you've been really drunk or a knock at the door when you've been really drunk. It is the most startling, scary thing ever. And then when you were laying there, one eye open, and you see the person go get the door, and then the cops come, and you see the cops at the door, and they go, are you Joshua Berglund? Yeah. We need you to come with us, sir. What? For what? For what? Did you have a young lady visit here? Anyway, so that all goes on. I go to jail, get all the mug shots, get all the stuff, and I was accused of rape, like forced rape, forced penetration, forced all of it. So that comes with a heavy price tag, if you know what I'm saying. Whether going to jail, lawyer fees, whatever, it, it, it was serious accusations. I would have gone to jail. I would have gone to jail had my perverted college friends not videotaped the incident. That is the only thing that saved me was video. And look, I'm not always, I, I mean, I was a tyrant. I was a bad, bad, bad dude. I was not a good human. And before I gave my life to Christ, I was awful. And and like, I'm ashamed of so much that I've done. And I mean, thank God I've been forgiven for it. But still, I'm not proud of that. But the fact is this. You piss someone off, they can say anything they want to say about you. You do them wrong. You do them like whatever. They're, you know, and especially nowadays, like people are super sensitive about a lot of different things. So they can make accusations. And sometimes that's all it takes is an accusation for you to lose your freedom. There's men and women that have been falsely accused, and also there's men and women that have been ignored, meaning when they spoke out and said, this is happening to me. The whole thing sucks. It sucks for everyone involved. It sucks that women are afraid to go to the cops because of the different things that can happen to them for doing so. And one of the worst things is being ignored. But then, then you got the people that have been falsely accused. What? It's, I don't know what to do. I mean, this is probably why God was like, hey, maybe you guys should wait till you're married until you have sex. I mean, now people are signing NDAs and other contracts before they go hook up. I mean, that, hey, sign this piece of paper before you have sex. Like, that sounds hot. Not. Anyway. I'm, I'm going off in the weeds here. I'm going to stop. But you should care about civil commitment. So I'm going to read you. This happened here. Come here, camera. <laughs> Come back here. All right. Let's see here. Pull that thing up. And forgive me. I want my camera to follow me. Why is it being so stubborn today? Come on, AI. There we go. 
you know what? You can't see that screen right there. Okay, I'm going to figure this out. This is not going to work for reading news articles. I'm experimenting live. And those of you who have followed my journey know that I'm constantly tinkering with things. I'm constantly changing the design of where I broadcast from. So, I mean, it's just how I, now I'm hearing speed, uh, phones going off and my phone's not even ringing. Anyway. So applying collaborative justice to sexually violent predator civil commitment. My phone's right here. It's not ringing. I hear one ringing. Yeah, I'm not going to edit this out either. Okay. Sexually violent predator statutes are unique and that these laws allow for the indefinite civil microphone over here. Sexually violent predator statutes are unique in these laws allow for the indefinite civil psychiatric commitment of sex offenders after their criminal sentences have been served. In addition to the high cost of psychiatric hospitalization, recently observed low base rates of sexual recidivism of sexual offenders released from custody suggest that in select SVP cases, a collaborative justice model of outpatient placement may be feasible in lieu of lengthy and costly placement in state hospitals. Given its position as one of the states with a large number of SVP commitments, California offers an opportunity to implement a collaborative justice model for adult sex offenders found to meet the SVP criteria. In this article, a template for such a model suggested immediately this model faces multiple obstacles, both within the judicial system and in the public arena. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. And the reason I'm gonna stop there is because I'm not going to sit here and read all broadcasts. I don't like to read out loud, one, because sometimes I stutter, two, I get the vocabulary of a drunk second grader, and three, move my microphone back over here. It's time to get an earpiece mic, I think. Okay, because I want to wiggle around, not drag this cord with me. Can you imagine, do you remember landline phones? You know, those things with the cord? <laughs> like, had to sit by the wall, and then you got the good cord? And then you could walk all over the house, but then it all tangled up and it just was a mess. I don't want to go back to 1950. Anyway, here's the reason why you should care. Here's the reason why you should care. Because, see, the decisions on whether somebody is worthy of being locked away in civil commitment, like a civil commitment facility, aka shadow prison, because that's basically what it is. Not basically, it is a shadow prison. It's disguised as a hospital. No one's getting treatment there. And I'm going to read, actually, I need to bring that over here now. Because I am going to read these, these the messages. Psychiatrists are given the authority to lock someone away for the rest of their life based on whether they believe that they are a sexually violent person or mentally ill and that they do not belong in society. Let's say that psychiatrists always got it right. Here's a hint. They don't. They don't get it right. There's a reason why they call it practicing medicine. There's a reason. Anyway, we are really fired up about this because it just pisses me off because I was misdiagnosed and there's God knows what all that medication did to me as if the meth and cocaine didn't do a lot. Anyway, so a psychiatrist has the authority to say, hey, you're mentally ill, you are not, you, you shouldn't be around people, you should not be in public. God, I felt like that sometimes about myself. 
but I don't always feel that way. Like, so, and, and, and when you meet some of these people, let's, okay, wait, wait, let's say that the psychiatrist, I know what I was going to say. Let's say that the psychiatrist really is a hundred percent accurate. Okay. Let's say that their authority is just in, it's like God given and God gave them the superpower to know that, Hey, you're a sexually violent person. You should be locked away for the rest of your life. Hmm. Okay. Well, then explain why these men and women are not getting the treatment that they need. When I read these emails to you, there's no care. There's no treatment. There's none. It's psychological warfare. It's also a cash cow for these prisons. You should see the money that gets pumped in there. And guess what? Some of these facilities are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Kind of terrifying. They need to be burned down, not with anyone in them, but they need to be demolished because what's happening there is not right. If you want to give somebody proper care, then you know what? Okay. Okay. Real treatment. Okay. But be fair and be right and do the right thing by people, not what's happening there. There's legitimately really good human beings that are locked away in shadow prisons for crimes that either they didn't do or they did 40 years ago and they served their time or they were never charged. It's And then you've got other people that are amputees or severely obese that are wheelchair bound. And let, let me tell, okay, let me give you a little scenario. If you've ever had a, a family member that's had a spinal cord injury, they've ever had a decubitus ulcer, which is also known as, whoa, how much battery I've left? Time out. I'll be right back. I'm still here, but I got to plug in stuff. Okay. Thank you for your patience, everyone. All right. So, I was saying, gotta love that. I freaking forgot where I was at. Okay, this this is maybe I should start scripting this. Of course, then again, all the fun stuff didn't want to fly out of my wouldn't fly out of my mouth the way it does now if I was scripted. Anyway, oh, good men and women, good. They, oh, oh, wheelchairs, decubitus. That's what I was saying. Sorry, thank you for your patience. Decubitus ulcers. It's also known as bed sores. That can kill you, first of all. And those of you who've ever had a loved one or yourself has ever been in a wheelchair, had a decubitus ulcer, skin breakdown, anything like that, you know how serious it is. You also, if you saw your hospital bills, know how expensive wound care is. To give you an idea, when I was working with wounds and spinal cord injuries years ago, that was my first profession, 18 years working with complex disabilities. And so, you know, getting to see hospitals and the VA and see how, and the working with insurance companies, I, I'm pretty well-versed in all this stuff. And I know how it works. I know about the fraud. I know how, I mean, like the system, it's a game. I know what the, I know the game that the patients run, especially those that are on welfare. Like, I, I mean, I, I kind of know the schemes because I was working in these homes and working in hospitals for 18 years. So, you know, these flap surgeries, $300,000 for a month stay. And guess what? There's a 98%, or at least at the time, there's a 98% fail rate, which means one, patients are normally not compliant, which happens a lot, but it's expensive. I mean, this, these flap surgeries are really, really expensive. And that's one of the things that you risk. But also if a decubitus ulcer gets deep enough, you know, that can infect your, your blood and rot. I mean, like you can die, you get poisoning. I mean, it's a big deal.
So you have some of these people that are locked away and not being cared for that are in wheelchairs and other things. If they get skin breakdown, it's suffering. They become toxic. It's a problem. Like some of these guys belong in a facility where they can get proper care, not neglect. It's it's torture. It, you might as well water waterboard them at this point. I don't even know if they're doing that. I don't think they're waterboarding people. Surely not. But anyway, I'm going to share this article, The Applying Collaborative Justice to Sexually Violent Predator Civil Commitment. It's actually from the American Academy of Psychiatry and the Law. So, look. Can you see it? Right there. So, here's the other thing. Well, you're going to say, well, psychiatrists are locking these men and women up. What you also need to know is that there's also medical professionals that are saying this is wrong. There's, what's the gentleman's name that came on? The, the, the state representative, Stanwell. Is it Stanwell? Steve? I never, forgive me, I'm brain farting right now. I should have notes. This is, I need a producer. You don't want to be my producer and come help me with notes and things so I can like stand up and, anyway, Sandell. I want to say Sandell. Sandell. Yeah. There's government officials that are looking at this and go, this is bullcrap. First of all, there's a lot of waste. Secondly, it's wrong because they're not getting treatment. All right. So without further ado, I don't know how long I've been into this interview or not. Not interview. Talking to myself. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So this is directly, I just want you to see, this is what I'm reading from. Guess you could have zoomed up and seen who that was, but. Most of these guys are elderly or disabled and not capable of climbing anything. The facility makes half of the residents climb bunks and walk very long distances to get back and forth to class every day. You should hear about these classes. One man is very large and heavy set and requires oxygen 24-7. He's specifically in the Bravo housing and cannot fit into his cell. So if you're in Texas and you know about the Bravo you probably know who this guy is. He is forced to sleep sitting up. He can't, oh, he can't fit into a cell. Another man, wow, another man in the same housing has an ankle, ankle monitor on for maybe six months or so, he told me. I'm not sure the maker model these GPS monitors, but they are constantly having issues with them. He has woken up at all hours of the night to have his strap either replaced or to walk the breezeway. So I don't know about you, but that's another form of psychological warfare. Now, whether that's intentional or not, I can't speak to that. But when you're waking somebody up every hour, that is, there's a conditioning in there. That's a programming. That is, that is a form of abuse. I don't care what anyone says, but I don't know if they're doing it on purpose. So I, and I, I gotta be cool there. He's developed a rash from having the monitor on so tight. Okay, so I don't know if this guy's a beast or not, but like even that, hey, that's not good. That's not healthy. Why does he have an ankle monitor on anyway if he's in prison and he's not getting out? If you've seen these facilities, you're not breaking out of it. Although I think I know someone that tried. <laughs> Let's see. When TCCO requires, so Texas, that's yeah okay tcc when tcco requires these men to walk the breezeway i assume that they are showing 
that they are not at the facility. So the facility literally has us wake these men up in the middle of their sleep, sometimes at least three times a night, and go walk hundreds of feet outside to connect the only antenna that shows them at the facility. Here in Littlefield, Texas, it's gotten so cold and it's been raining and snowing, most of these guys' immune system can handle much. Can't, they can't handle much. Most of these guys' immune systems can, can't handle much after the COVID outbreak in the facility. We're told pretty much as staff consistently that the facility is open movement. Well, due to it being an ex-prison building, they lock the doors all the hours of the day and the residents cannot leave their cell or the day room if there was a medical emergency. So, okay, so my healthcare experience comes into play here a little bit because see the laws, I think it's the called ABLE laws. Gosh, it's been a while. Man, I kind of miss working in that industry. I think they're ABLE laws. For brain farting. I used to, I had to study all this stuff to become a, certified rehab technician anyway but this is a problem that right there what she's saying that's that's can't do that now of course i don't know it's probably a loophole because prisons and hospitals but it feels like that ain't right it should be i think that's illegal but i'm not a lawyer so what do i know most of the time the other it's also called practicing law so it's not like most of the time, the other roommates notify us that their celly is having issues. The only way that we'll know if someone needs help, the facility gets by, the, I'm, I'm trying to read her right. The facility gets by saying they do 30 minute checks on living, breathing bodies, but they do not. I have not met one single security officer that checks on the status of anyone breathing they only check if they are in the bunk or cell. The entire administration is ex-TDCJ, so the facility is highly ran just as a prison. Even the wording, verbiage, schedule, staff lingo, day-to-day -day operations are ran just like a prison, which is voiced all the time by residents. One of the most and biggest complaints I hear all the time is that these men have been at TCC longer than they served at TDCJ. And if they cannot physically make it to class, they make the residents start all over and start back over as tier one, making them lose all or any progress. So I think it's, they have to get to tier three to be released. And, and I, I could be wrong there, but going back to tier one is a big deal. So if you decide not to engage in the therapy, you always stay at tier one, which means you're never getting out. If you try to go and, and go through the program, that's where the psychological warfare begins. So it's a suicide mission, basically. And if you go watch any of the other interviews, that's what they say. They're like, I don't, I'm not doing therapy because of what happens. Here she, they go back to tier one and they lose all progress if they're one minute late. No. Didn't say that. I made that up. If they physically cannot make it to class, they start all. While I'm on a shift, I see several mental health patients that are not really capable of receiving treatment. Even the staff in medical has told me that several of these men 
have dementia and should not even be at the facility. Damn it. Someone go kick in the doors of this place and investigate. Investigate. Because if somebody has dementia, the last place they need to be is in that facility. That would be hell. That would not be fun. There's so many reasons that this is wrong. So many. She is, okay, but she has no clue why the facility has the right to keep these men there against their will to receive help at another facility. One man went to the ER complaining of chest pains and pressure in the chest, and they made him walk on his own all the way from the cell to the front gate and made him sit in the hallway at least an hour before they was even seen by a medical professional. I think I'd be safer in a prison in Guadalajara, Mexico. I couldn't, I could go on and on. Is there anything specific you want to know? So, everyone, what questions do you have? What would you like to know? Because we're going to get this information. Feel free to ask all the questions you want. Will you? I don't think you, I, I want to re-emphasize this. To those of you that are like, what is, what is this civil commitment? Why does Josh care about it? Why am I listening to this? Because it can happen to you. It can happen to you. And I'm going to give you another scenario. Because I gave you the one about me, you know, <laughs> my, my fake, or not fake, me getting accused of rape, even though I didn't do it. Thank God for video. I'm going to give you another scenario. Imagine, oh, sit down. Now I'm tired. Oh. You know, I think I'm going to out myself talking about this, but that's okay. I mean, I'm pretty transparent. This is very different for me. I want to just, I'm going to push pause on what I've been talking about to share this really quick. I did a lot of bad stuff in my life. So when I look at these men and their families that, you know, or you labeled sex offenders, sexually violent people, the ones, even the ones that have been guilty, that did it. Like, I've got to know them. And a lot of them. And I, like, it's like talking to a brother. It's like talking to a cousin, a sister, a friend. And so I, I mean, I didn't allow my emotions to open my heart to make me stupid. No, I can listen. And I'm sensitive to this whole sex offender thing. I don't like it. I don't want any, like, I don't, I, I was molested. I look back at all the, the crap that I did in my life, the evil that I did. I also remember how it all started. I remember. God has healed me. God has made me much closer I mean, like, his healing power has brought me to being closer to what he originally created me to be before sin and trauma and everything else. Hit. I've rehabilitated my life. Now, after I rehabilitated my life, I felt in my spirit I was supposed to serve. And you know what? That felt good because I had done so much wrong. I didn't even believe that I deserved to, to make the money that I know that I'm capable of making, to do 
with that money, what I'm capable of doing, which is big, big part of my vision, my family's vision, my wife and I's vision, what we do with the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation, what our goals are with it. And so I swung this pendulum all the way over here because I got to be a good boy and I got to white, white knuckle it and all that other stuff because let's face it, even after you give your life to the, you give your life to the Lord, it's not like you're a choir boy. <laughs> it's not, I mean, your heart changes, but then you got to work on your mind and then you got to work on feeding your heart good stuff because it's just as easy to go back to being a jerk. It's just as easy to go back to being a pervert and a chem sex addict and everything else. I know because I relapsed. I get it. I get it. And I'm not all the way healed. I get it. But so now like talking about this stuff, it, it like it hits different because I, even though we're still doing our foundation work, like I'm now in business for myself now that I have media company in a box and I'm doing consulting work and I'm I like I made myself a media organization, an independent media organization. And it's something that I'm really passionate about teaching because what I'm doing is the future. I'm not famous yet. I'm not even popular yet. I don't care because I know for a fact what I'm doing is the future. That said, Talking about me being a pervert and a chem sex addict and all that other stuff, like, ah, it's not real flattering. It's not flattering at all. And then, like, I don't feel good. I'm like, gosh, in the back of my head, I'm sitting here saying, well, that's probably going to drive away some business if I talk about this. But guess what? I only care about the business side. So it'll fund the mission we have with the Live Bottle Worldwide Foundation. Like, that's the only reason I care. Because frankly, I'm not going to censor myself and I'm not going to let anyone else censor me either. So, and part of my duty, part of my commitment to the Lord, when he changed my whole world, my whole life, was that I was going to put a spotlight on my shadow world. I was going to build my empire on truth. And it's been very uncomfortable. So, I want to give you a little sidebar there before I go into this, because if you don't want to do business with me because of my past or what I talk about now, you're probably not the kind of person I want to work with anyway, because you know what? Most of you all that have time to hate on other people or judge other people or go, man, that guy's a creep. Let me see your internet history. Anyway, so, and look, and it's not even about that. There's just like, we're not, we all make mistakes. We all have evil in us. We all make, we all have a switch that is not a very nice person. We all make mistakes. So now that I've said all that, I want to say, I want to say this. I think about all of those hookup apps. I mean, my goodness, I was telling my wife last night on match.com of all places, like that was like a swinger site for me. <laughs> like when I was on, when I got on that site, I mean, it was like, it was just sex all the time. I had more sex being on Match.com than I did Adult Friend Finder. What's my point in all this? Every one of those situations where I'm going back to someone's house, they're coming to my house, there's multiple people coming, there's drugs involved, there's GHB, there's meth, there's cocaine. People, look. You disassociate when you're on drugs, like your body, your soul leaves you. 
So the person that you become while you're under the influence is not really who you are. That said, that person's responsible for all the crap that you did, whether your soul was intact or not. So if you've ever done meth, you kind of know that reality going to get thrown back here and like this whole other thing up here that happens is whatever version of vial that you have and know. Like it, it's awful. And it always gets worse, especially if you're a, a meth and sex user. Cocaine and sex the same way. You do things that you would not do sober. Period. But, so those of you, I'm going to speak to the people that have done drugs and sex and all that stuff. So, or, or even, how about this? How about you got too drunk and then you went home with somebody, you had sex, and you woke up. And you're like, who's this person? Or, oh my God, I slept with them. Or, you know what I mean? Like, we've have you been there? Okay. So imagine that. But then the person wakes up realizing, did we did we have sex? Did, did, did we do it last night? Did you did you use a condom? What that situation just as easily could flip. You raped me. He got me drunk. He slipped me a he slipped me a pill. It's your word first theirs. Just like that. Boom. Gone. Civil commitment. That can happen. And so, yes, psychiatrists play a role. But let me just tell you about this. They play a role in like determining whether or not you should be in civil, locked up by civil commitment. Let me just tell you that they don't know everything. Psychiatrists practice medicine just like anyone else. That's why so many people get misdiagnosed. Prime example, if you have disassociative identity disorder, some psychiatrists think it's fake. Some people don't believe it's real. And others will. It's no different than which version of Christianity do you want to argue over? Catholic, Baptist? Like, I mean, you know, they have, they have different belief systems. And they fight about that. So... That's like supposed to be the most pure thing in the world. What do you think the field of psychiatry is? They're not, they don't agree on everything. They don't know. But yet now they get to say, you're going away for the rest of your life. It's bullcrap. And so now let's go back to you're on Tinder, you're on Grinder, you're on any other of those apps that you can hook up and, and you don't know who you're talking to. You do a couple lines, go hook up. Oh, let's just say that it's all consensual and then, you know, you, you hurt the person or they hurt you or it gets a little rough or gets a little wild. And you think everything's fine. Oh, hey, I'm so sorry about that. And then when you leave, they sober up. They call the cops. There's so many scenarios like this that can happen. I think about every time I hooked up with somebody I didn't know or went to a party or went to like every time I, I was putting everything at risk. I mean, there's a lot of risk. There's health risk. There's getting murdered. There's getting decapitated. There's being drugged and raped. There's that. I mean, I, that's not a good feeling to have happen. I mean, and then here's the thing too. When you're high on meth and you get raped because you passed out and someone's raping you, like, what are you supposed to do? I mean, that happened to me, but that's my fault. That was my fault. So, like, no, I got to really 
and black out from doing too much meth, being up for too long and get raped. It's an awful feeling. But it was my fault. I don't believe that person should go to a shadow prison because of it. I think mean, they should go to prison for it. It's my fault. I mean, you can argue with me about that, but I, you get a personal responsibility. I mean, I chose to take drugs I, for four days straight. So this happens. This can happen to anybody. But other than that, be a human being and care. This can happen to someone you care about and love. And let me tell you something about the men and women that are that have children and husbands locked away. God bless you. I've gotten to know some of you. God bless you. And the fight that you are taking to this issue, God bless you. And I'm not all-powerful, I'm not all-knowing, I'm not any of that stuff, but I believe that God's going to make this right. The ones that did their time, you deserve freedom. Those of you that have been locked up in, 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 in it, you know, without trial, without any of that, I think, I believe God's going to make it right. I also believe that you need God's help to make this happen, because I don't think it's going to happen on its own. So I would appreciate if you take the time to read this article that I'm going to put on joshuatberglund.com. And I'm, I'm grateful that you watched and listened. I care about these men. Uh, I care about the, the, their loved ones, too, the ones I've gotten to know. But I, I, there's just so many more stories. I have an attorney coming on tomorrow that's locked up. And, uh, yeah, he's. I'm just going to let him talk because... What he's got to say is something. Anyway, thank you so much for watching. Thank you to everyone that, whether you're listening on the podcast, thank you. Please share this out. But go to joshuatberglund.com. I'd be grateful for you to you know leave reviews and also if you would subscribe. Every every subscription, every service I have goes to fund the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation because I mean I I care about this mission, and I I I don't want to ever have to worry about censoring what I say because I'm worried about getting a customer or someone to work with me. I've got business. I mean, I'm working with, I've got my group of tribe of people, you know, that, that keep me going. But that said, we have a big, big, big vision with the Live Model Worldwide Foundation. And I actually would appreciate if you actually checked out that vision because you may want to be a part of it because this impacts your life too. And yeah, I'll stop there. Thank you.